Hello, and welcome to FiverrCast, the official Fiverr podcast for sellers by sellers. I am Ryan, aka Custom Drum Loops, and my guest today is very special, and you might know him from previous episodes, but I'll allow him to introduce himself. Well, I am Adam, also known as Twisted Web 123 I, I quite like the idea of being the guest today, so that kind of means all responsibility for the show and presenting goes on your shoulders today, Ryan. So I'm just gonna I'm just gonna let you take it away. You know, tell everyone what we're gonna be talking about together today. That sounds great. I'd love to take it away. So normally we're joined by a guest to give some great insight, but this week it's just gonna be Adam and I, and we'll call him my guest. I'll I'll, I'll go along with that one. But today we're going to be talking about diversifying your gigs and building sales. So here we have two top-rated sellers giving you tips that you can implement today to start building your sales. So Adam, why don't you tell us about your first gig that was your first very popular gig on Fiverr? So yeah, basically... um when I set, you know, everyone, everyone set up a few gigs until you come across that place where you hit the popular spot. And the most popular gig or the gig I first set up that I could see was taking off was improving your website via 10 tips and giving you a report on how to do so. And the reason we're going to be talking about this subject today is because there's often uh, a scenario where a lot of sellers will have that top selling gig but then they struggle to kind of replicate that and kind of put all of their eggs into one basket. So Ryan, what was your first top selling gig? Well, my first top selling gig was creating a jingle with a full band behind it. And that came out right after my gig that sold famously zero times, which was selling drum loops, which is how I got my name custom drum loops. And after that, I decided, Hey, I'm going to give it one more try and put up something that's more accessible to everybody. I knew businesses could use it. I knew people could use it for birthdays and different occasions. Um, so that was creating a jingle or a song with a full band. And the one thing I noticed that was interesting after I made that was people started asking for services that were similar to what I was offering. And so after doing that, I almost took this approach of viewing my Fiverr gigs almost like a staircase where each gig that I created had a step to something else. So rather than saying, for example, I'm going to offer you a jingle and I said, wow, businesses want this. Maybe I'll try to learn how to do logo design and offer a logo. Um, I noticed people were saying, hey, is there any way you can do a video? How can I put this on YouTube? And so that's when I added video to that service. And then I started noticing people were requesting specific things like, can you do this on the ukulele? So I thought maybe I'll try doing something with ukulele. I think the big thing is listening to your market and offering services that are complementary to that gig that's popular rather than creating a whole slew of other gigs that aren't necessarily relevant, but more that help out what you're already offering and what's building and snowballing in popularity. Yeah, I mean, we actually, we talked, uh, well, for me, I think a part of that as well as and a part of getting the gigs that kind of complement each other also comes back to your brand as a seller. And we had a episode quite a while back now where we talked about brands. But the fact is, if you had a gig set up where you were offering to do ukulele, you were offering to do singing um, and all this other stuff, and then you said, I'm going to make your logo, as you say, they don't really complement each other. So whilst it's a popular service and you're hoping to break through on that service because it's popular, you may actually find it much easier to kind of port the traffic from your busy gigs where people are interested in that service to almost like a sister service. 
So rather than looking for double the amount of buyers to order both of your gigs, you're just coming back to your previous buyers and kind of saying, you know, you like that, what I had before, you're probably going to like this as well because it's related. And I think a lot of buyers, not buyers, sorry, I think a lot of sellers kind of fall into that trap. And I see it a lot of times. And I myself was in this trap where when my first gig took off, I think it hit over a thousand orders. And I was looking at my other gigs thinking, I've got 10 feedback there. I've got 20 (laughs) there. I've got 30 there. All of my eggs were in one basket. And I was just trying to think, how do I replicate the success of this gig across the board? And the fact was, I could maybe try and start from scratch and do it all over again and think of a completely different service or go down the route that you've said and start to complement. So your um, example of going from kind of the band to the ukulele was the exact same transition I had moving on to my second most popular gig, which was creating social media designs. Because a lot of the times inside my reports, I would say to my buyers, you know, I'd look at their social media presence, look at their branding, and I'd kind of come across their profiles and think, these could be improved. They'd come back to me and say, well, can you improve them for me? And I set up that gig. And now I look at those two gigs today and I think my website improvement reports has something like 3,500 reviews and my social media designs are on 1,500. So that gap closed quickly and now it's two well-selling gigs that complement each other as opposed to something completely out there on its own that, you know, I've tried to drill home or again, attend feedback kind of gig next to it. Definitely. And I think the other big thing is that you, every service that you offer is sort of within the same, uh, overarching web of uh, expertise like you know for example you had your your big gig which was improving your website with 10 tips which shows you're you're a web expert you know you you know that marketing side for websites and then you also have the gigs that are creating a, a twitter banner and i know in your uh, tips you often said improve your social presence improve the look of your social media and i know for me when i started out rather than positioning myself as a musician and you know i'll write you a happy birthday song i chose to go i'll promote your business more so once i was in sort of that niche of look i'm, I'm more of the marketing side than the musician side that allowed me to expand into doing stuff that was business specific just like you did with taking your tips to improve your website and say look this can build your whole brand and improve multiple elements and different levels of your business i think that is uh something i've never actually really thought about before but i think that's an absolutely key point because when you look at something which can be fun can be a gift you know sing your happy birthday that's great but i think it's got a a saturation point that's lower than pushing yourself to the businesses because you may have x amount of buyers who come onto the site looking for a happy birthday message and then you know it kind of caps out it saturates that's it but you've always got new businesses looking for new ideas, looking for new trends, looking for different variations. So I wouldn't come to you and say, I want five different versions of this song for one person for their birthday. I'm only going to order that from you once. Whereas if I came to you and said, I want five different songs for my business, that's a lot more likely. That's a lot more likely to happen. So I think positioning yourself to the right target market is really the key there. And there's nothing to say that you can't have something like a happy birthday gig, but also try to then, you know, position yourself into the business aspect as well. 
And I mean, when I first set up my gig um, for website improvements, I think one of the biggest things that made it successful was I didn't go inside a user testing category. I didn't go inside website category or anything like that. I went inside the business category because I thought no one is going to search for how do I improve my website. But people are going to be searching or browsing through the business category to see what's available to improve their business. So I'd be much more likely to have a popular service from people looking around as opposed to specifically looking for me. So taking your service that, you know, you might say some people might put into a gifts category or inside a um, uh, the fun category or the fun and bizarre category, you know, playing um, the ukulele, etc. By positioning yourself in the business category or in a category related to business, you're opening up the audience that are likely to see you. And they may not be there and think, I'm going to search for a uke, someone to play with a ukulele, but they may be there scrolling through a category that interests them and thinking, wow, I could hire this guy to sing, the ukulele, um, sing on the ukulele for me. Right. And I always like to use the example of if you have a child that gets their braces off, their parents might want to buy them a song saying congratulations. But if you're an orthodontist who has patients getting their braces off, one of those is going to be a one-time purchase. One of those can be a weekly purchase that's good, that never stops. So that's where it's being smart with your positioning and, and who you try to attract that sort of gives you the opportunity to expand your services and your offerings. I know with your review and your tips, you actually give action steps to make changes rather than, oh, I'm just going to go look at your website and give you my opinion. So, I mean, I think those are two different things. And the fact that you positioned it that way to start with led to more opportunities to create things like logo design or Twitter covers or um, implementing SEO action steps to fix, fix the issues. Yeah, I think one of the key elements of that service as well is just to simply put it, it's an accreditation. So when someone comes to me and I highlight what's wrong with their site and I show them how to fix it, it accredits the fact that I know what I'm talking about. So when I say to them, you could improve your social media presence. Oh, by the way, I also have a social media gig. I've already credited the fact that I know what I'm talking about in that regards. You can come back to me for that specific service as well. So if you're offering a gig and you're creating a complimentary gig, that's where the accreditation really comes in. Because if you had a ukulele um, jingle like you do, Ryan, and you had a logo gig, then they're not related at all. So I may look at your profile and think, well, you did an awesome ukulele song for me, but that doesn't mean you can do a great logo. But if I look that you do an awesome ukulele song and then I can see that you'll write um, a song to promote my business, again, they're interlinked. So you've accredited the fact that you know what you're doing. And whether I'm a repeat buyer or not, when I look at your profile and I see you've got, um, let's say, over 1,000 feedback on your ukulele jingle, and then I see another service related to it, let's say it's a brand new service that you've just set up and it's only got 100 feedback, I am confident in ordering that because I can see everything else within that niche is good. So you're accrediting yourself for being able to do it. And I can order comfortably, whether I'm a repeat buyer or a brand new buyer to you. And I think it gives ideas too. I know in my case, if someone orders something on the ukulele, they might say, oh, wow, I didn't even think that I could do something with guitar with a full band for my business. It, it sort of opens doors to options and opportunities to do different things. And it's like you said, if you're a business, you're buying something that 
with the intent of it making you more money in some way versus a birthday song, you know, you want someone to be happy with it, but businesses might be willing to buy more than one just to have the different option and all of them could make them money, you know, just depending on how they use them. Exactly. So what we're basically saying is when you are coming on and you're looking at your own profile as a seller for anyone listening and more often than not, everyone pretty much has a gig that stands out. You know, it sells better than the rest of them, regardless of how your other gigs are selling. You, you kind of want the ratio to be quite close, but most of the time the ratio is lower. So what you need to do is you need to identify, first of all, the best market for your best selling gig. So what market is that currently being pitched to and is it selling as well as it can be? If it is, you then look to create something complementary to that gig, but also complementary to that market. So let's say as an example, we had Ryan's ukulele jingle for businesses. And then I set up a gig saying, I'll, um, he set up another gig saying he'll do a ukulele um, happy birthday song. It complements the gig, but it doesn't complement the market because it's all well and good accrediting and showing, you know, you're great at this, but the market is then so much smaller. So I think that's the two key things that you need to kind of watch out for when you're looking to diversify your gigs and spread your sales across the board is making sure that your sales, um, your gigs complement each other, but the audiences that your gigs are pitching to also complement each other. Yeah, I think that's a good point. I know you touched on it with how you categorized your gigs and I did the same thing. I was basically thinking, where would my buyers be most likely to click and hang out for lack of a better term for to browse for different services? Because like you said, no one really is going to come to Fiverr and say, I want a song to promote my business. I mean, it's just not a normal search phrase that someone would be looking for. I mean, I think logos and things like that are a little bit more of that. So I have categories or gigs that are in, in audio categories, but I also have gigs that are in the advertising categories or the branding services categories. So that way I can reach a more diverse clientele. Yeah, exactly. When I, when I first set up my social media design gig, um, I can't remember the exact name of the category, but I think it's, oh yeah, I'm looking now underneath graphics and design. There is a social media design category. When I first set up my Twitter gig, I didn't put it inside the social media design category. I, I felt that was too obvious. Anyone who's looking in that category is likely searching the search terms that I want. So instead, I went a little bit outside of the box and I went into digital marketing and social marketing and pitched it as a way of creating a design that can be used to market your brand and your business and then you know get likes and followers and generate traffic from that as opposed to just being a literal design. And it's it's pretty much the same product that you're offering. But again, it's that market and how you're pitching it to them that is going to see the engagement from your buyers. And I, th I think it's walking that fine line of putting it in a relevant category, but also thinking outside the box enough to where you're not just copying exactly what everybody else is doing. Yeah, exactly. I also think it's there's that fine line as well between putting it into a slightly outside the box category, but not going all out there to try and like game the system. You know, if I was doing logo design and I thought I'm going to put it inside the business category, that is probably one. It's not going to be your best category to put it inside of, but also you've got to realize what's outside of the box and linked to your target audience and what just is completely unrelated in general. So there's a right. couple of fine lines, you know, that you, you kind of need to look at 
But again, I think it kind of draws back to identifying your current target market and whichever one of your gigs is the best selling, who that market is and trying to pitch towards them. I mean, inside my top selling gig, I always ask one of my criteria questions is, um, how did you come across this service? Now, most people you think, well, they, they looked on Fiverr. But what I actually get is I get feedback from I used this search term or I was in the category. I saw it was featured on the homepage or even I found it from Google. So just understanding that kind of feedback from my buyers helps me understand what services I should be using to not just complement, but where I should be positioning them as well. Yeah, I think that's a great idea. And I think that's completely overlooked by so many sellers. They, they get happy that they have the order, but they don't really care where it came from, or they don't really care to know because they're so like, you know, I said, they get to do the project, that's it. But when you start looking at things like that, that's when it really allows you to build those repeat buyers and target people that you know, are going to be likely to be repeat buyers and people to buy from you to begin with. Just to add in one more thing with categorizing, I know a lot of people when they start, they think if they can get seen and stand out, that's the best way to be found. So doing things as ridiculous as putting a logo gig in the audio category, saying, oh, someone's browsing, I'm going to be the only logo gig. That is a completely terrible idea. So don't do that. But like you said, slightly walk that fine line of thinking outside the box. And then like you just said, action steps and things that you can actually do within each gig and each order, asking questions to those buyer and then making sure they have a good experience. It's going to make them more willing to come back and then also give you that feedback to attract other new buyers. Yeah. I mean, the results that I got back from asking that question actually even surprised me. I, you know, you can't, Kind of just get into the impression of where did this order come from? Well, Fiverr. But when you kind of you delve into it further, you realize actually people are telling me different search terms they use. People are telling me if they went straight to the category page itself. If they, I get feedback if people are telling me they find it from a certain filter, whether it's highest rated. And I leave it quite an open ended question, you know, just let me know. And then I kind of record the results myself. But there's no reason to say that you couldn't ask a more specific question with a drop down. And I'm sure. We've all seen it on websites before where they say, how did you come across us? And you have to choose from a drop down, whether it was other Google, etc. There's no reason you can't do something similar on Fiverr where you're saying, is it from this category? Was it from a search or was it from a feature or was it from somewhere else? You know, and just having that feedback makes you understand. And I absolutely love your example of logo in the audio design category. And the fact is, in that situation, for anyone who's thinking along the lines of, well, no one else is going to be there for browsing. The the simple bottom line there is that isn't your target audience. Those who are looking for audio have absolutely no relation to logos at all. They may not even be a business. You know, it's such an, there's, that's one of those lines where it's, there's no connection. So right. I think it's, it's important to stress that because you maybe do see sometimes people think I'll be so out there with this, but the reason like the reason you've got to ask yourself is why is no one else doing this is because in that scenario, it doesn't make sense to it. It's not worthwhile in the same way. When you go to create a brand new service and you look it up to see if anyone else has created it, you have to ask yourself, have you stumbled across something so unique that's going to sell extremely well and is great? Or is it not currently listed for a reason? Now, you know, it can be sometimes (laughs) unique, but a lot of the times when, well, not a lot, that's a bit harsh, but some of the times when you're looking to sell something and you may never find it, there may be a reason behind that. 
So doing a little bit of market research into your complementary gigs is also a good idea. Not because you might necessarily be competing with other users, but you want to see if it's a popular service. So under this current kind of dynamic we're talking about of having complementary gigs, you're basically looking to bring in a buyer on one of them and then connect that buyer with the others to try and you know create the upsells or create the continuity where you're getting good sales all across your gigs. So really, you don't need to compete in every single category to try to win. You just need to create services that complement each other, relate to the buyer, and are popular. Adam, what is your repeat buyer percentage? So I actually, I've, I only tracked this for two months, um, but I, I went under the age-old the age uh, statistics rule of when you, you do enough of a focus group, that pretty much gives it to you. But my repeat buyer percentage at that time was something like 45%. It absolutely astounded me. I was expecting it to be you know 10 to 20%, but it dawned on me that literally almost half of my buyers are repeat buyers. And that is almost something that can become kind of seen as a guaranteed income because they've come back to me and they still come back to me now and I've retained that. So I'm not out there trying to, you know, find 100,000 users to try and get buyers from. Instead, I'm focusing on the buyers that I have, offering them complimentary services and offering them something that they want to a high quality. And especially, as you said earlier, Ryan, when you're pitching that to a business, the business is there much more likely to purchase multiple things from you as opposed to if you sold a happy birthday song and then you came back and said, I also do bar mitzvahs or, you know, I also do Christmas songs. That person's a personal buyer who's probably looking for a one-off item. They're not looking for everything across the board. Yeah, it's definitely true. And I remember the first time I was a guest on Fivercast, it was either you or Red asked what was the repeat buyer percentage. And it was something I hadn't kept track of, which I'm pretty big into data. I'm pretty big into numbers. So I don't know how I somehow overlooked that, but I had that same reaction. I went and looked and it was right around 40%. And I said, wow, I can't believe that many people are coming back and buying different things. And when I looked deeper into it, a lot of people, they weren't coming back and necessarily buying the same gig on repeat, but they were buying different ones. So it was like, that was kind of that aha moment of, wow, if I offer services that complement each other well, it's going to build those repeat buyers that are almost going to work down your gig list and buy different ones. Yeah, I think it's also important from a business strategy point of view as well, because every single seller in every single business, everywhere all over the world, who's ever selling anything, whether it's a product or a service, there are always slow periods and they're all always, you know, fast or good selling periods that happens everywhere. So the fact is, if you can spread your income across multiple gigs that are all kind of selling to the same level, if one of them has a dip or it has a bit of a slowdown, you might find that you're having a good period for another one. And it kind of all balances out. I mean, if we look at your profile, Ryan, most of your, your gigs at the moment all kind of hover around 1000 feedback. You know, they're all close to each other. So if you have a slowdown on the jingle gig, then your gig to uh, write a business for a song, if that's going well, you're not really feeling the effects of that. Whereas if you had a ukulele jingle gig and your other gigs were much, much, much lower sellers, when that slows down, you would really feel that. 
I'll even take that a step further and saying, once you get that and build that base, it gives you freedom to experiment. So for example, I have one right now that was just solely based on doing an animated jingle. So it's an all-inclusive package that's the animation with the song together. And that hasn't been anywhere near as popular as just audio with the option to add a video, which I found very interesting. I thought it might be sort of an in-between bridge between the explainer video and the jingle gig, but it wasn't quite as popular. So because I had everything else picking up the slack, I was able to experiment with that and try something new to see how that worked, even though it was offering the same service, just positioning it a little bit differently. I think those are the type of experiments once you get going that are good to run to see how you can build even more. I would also say as well, in regards to experimenting, because I, I would imagine that a lot of people listening are thinking about what's, you know, that second or third or fourth gig that they could set up to complement. I would also probably recommend staging it because you want to give the best that you can into each one to get it off the ground so then, you know, it can start to snowball. So if you've got your first gig that's selling well, set up your complimentary second gig. Think about setting yourself in an arbitrary number in your head. Say, when I get to 50 sales or 50 feedback on this, I'm going to go ahead and make the third one. And then you'll think to yourself, when I get to 50 feedback on the third one, I'm going to go ahead to make the fourth one. And then what you may end up with over time there, if they're all selling well, if they're all um, quite consistent, is you'll find them kind of, you'll have one maybe on, let's say, 500 in the future, the other on 400, and the other maybe on 350. And they're all quite close together, and they're all complementing each other. Because from my point of view, when I've gone on as a buyer, and I've looked at people's profiles to see what they offer, there's nothing worse, to be honest, when I see someone with, say, three, four, five thousand feedback on one gig, and then they've left it so late to create the second one, or it just hasn't been that much of a good seller, and they've got like 50 feedback. It, it doesn't give me any confidence to want to buy that gig from them. Instead, I'll think, oh, I might need that, but more than likely, I'll actually do a search instead to see who else is offering that service. And it's not because the feedback is low, but it's just because the feedback proportion is so different from their top gig. Yeah, I mean, I think that's totally true. The more gigs you have, the more with the more feedback, it shows uh, a level of establishment and trust. Just saying, look at there's all these gigs that have all gotten this many positive feedbacks. It just speaks to you as a professional, as a seller. Let's look at implementing some action steps and tips that we can give both new sellers and people who maybe have that one gig but aren't sure where to go from there in terms of implementing what's the next step to implement building in those next gigs? Let's start with new sellers. What do you think the first steps for a new seller should be? Should they create one gig and see if that works? Should they do four? What What do you think on that? So I believe at the moment, new sellers have a limit of three gigs. I may be wrong in that, but I think it's three. But my recommendation there would be to think about overall what you're looking to offer in general. You might think, well, I could do one logo design gig, one writing gig, and um, one ukulele gig. But the fact is, they they don't complement uh, each other enough to help you get the base original sales to start moving on. So I would look to create three gigs based around the sort of services that you want to offer, and then see how they go. See which one's getting more traction, and then start to listen to the buyers that you're receiving. So you're, you're basically you're kind of like doing an A B test. 
you're not offering three logo design gigs as an example, but one might be logo design, the other might be business um, design, and the other might be a website mock-up. All design-based, but different variations of the same sort of service you want to offer and see which one the buyers are most kind of reacting to. Is, is that something similar the- that you'd recommend? Oh, definitely. And I was going to say what you touched on without saying it is that's all within that same category of buyer. So your ideal buyer would be looking for all three of those things. I think the big thing is you you want to approach it with what you're an expert in and what you like doing. You know, it's like you said, the chances are to be a expert logo designer, an expert ukulele player, an expert programmer. Generally, you aren't an expert in that many things. So stick within something that's within a similar uh, sort of area in terms, like you said, that was all marketing design. It fell right in that bubble. Yeah, exactly. And just just coming back really quickly to the point of seeing the difference between um, like 2000 reviews and 10 reviews. Again, it highlights that expert part of it where I might look at it and think he's an expert. He's got 2000, all of his time and energy and everything's going on this gig. Is this little one just like a side hobby? Are there, you know, better equipped people out there? And the fact is you may actually be an expert in that side gig, but because they're so, the ratio so off, it doesn't come across that way. So whether, when you're looking as a, then as an established seller, who's maybe got one gig, I think we pretty much said when you're looking to maybe go for that second one, what is the action step? The action step is to, as you said, Ryan, listen to your buyers, almost like a frequently asked question. Think about what buyers are coming back to you with and then think about what complements what you create as well. So let's say if you were going forward and you had a good logo design gig, chances are you're getting a few people who are asking you if you do stationery or business card design. Think about then setting up a business uh, card design gig and then you know pushing that with it you could even ask you know when you deliver that logo you can say hey you know i'd really appreciate you know your normal delivery feedback message and say something like you know if you were to proceed further would you consider business cards or would you consider this i mean i think people like participating in surveys they like answering questions on their personal preferences so even trying out something like that might give you insight into what other services your buyers might be looking for yeah i think that's a great idea and i think you could again go slightly outside of the box with it as well and not just ask if you were to proceed more with this service, what are you looking for? But kind of ask what they're looking for on Fiverr in general, because they might come, they might think to themselves, well, I just wanted a logo, but they may be thinking in the back of their heads, I might go to Fiverr for a website design. So again, that's something that you know is linked, but the buyer may not realize that's linked with what you do. So by getting that kind of feedback and understanding what your buyers are looking for, whether it's, an upgrade or an upsell of what you have now, or if it's related and they don't realize it, any kind of feedback along that way is so invaluable. Right. And I mean, the big thing that people are looking for on Fiverr when they come to buy, regardless of what they're purchasing, is a good experience. So if you give them that good experience, they're going to be more than willing to answer your questions to give you that feedback. Exactly. I think just, you know, it's, it's that kind of saying where, if you, if you treat the customer well, they're pretty much going to be a customer for life. And I think we've both shown with our return customer percentages, that's that's very much the case. And you get to the point where you have people like top rated sellers who are selling a lot, but we're not there selling to 
you know, one person over, um, or let's say, you know, a hundred thousand individual people, we're just selling great quality products consistently to our desired or our targeted user base built up of some new customers, but also seemingly just less than half return buyers who just come back to us. No, and it's very true. And, and everything we've talked about today has allowed you to do that for almost six years. And, you know, next year it'll be my fifth year. So it just shows when you follow these steps and, and take the action to implement them, uh, there's the longevity element. I mean, you can stay around for a very long time and Fiverr just keeps growing and growing and there's more and more potential. So uh, all the people that are looking to get in now, if you follow these steps and take that action, I mean, there's, there's a pretty high ceiling for what you can achieve. Yeah, and I think there's there's always kind of the, the thought or the desire when you're selling any kind of service, whether it's on Fiverr or not, but you always kind of want more, more and more. And I think sometimes that can get misplaced where you're thinking, I want more, more and more buyers. But it is, as I say, it's not about having an infinite amount of buyers because the fact is an infinite amount of buyers don't exist. There is a saturation point. Let's say Fiverr, you know, I'd... 100,000 people come to its website in the first year. Well, there were some sellers who were selling very, very well, but they weren't selling to every single person who came onto the website. Instead, it's about knowing your audience, knowing your target market, knowing your buyers and offering them the the products. I mean, I can't stress this enough, but offering them the services that complement what you do so you can do it to a high quality, but also complement what they're looking for. And in that way, as we say, they, they'll just come back over and over again. And you don't have to be there worrying about is more traffic going to come onto the website or are there more new buyers out there? Because you don't always need new buyers. You just need a fresh approach to your old buyers. It's very true. And that's not, shouldn't be your focus anyway. That's Fiverr's focus, bringing in the new traffic. It's your focus and your job to optimize the services that you offer to make them appealing to that new traffic that's coming in and also the people that have already purchased from you. Well, that's all we have time for this week. I can't really thank myself for joining, but I am the guest. So thank you to Ryan for having me. As always, we had our jingle created by Custom Drum Loops and we were edited today by Dancia. Thanks so much and see you next week. Fibercast. Fibercast.